Ladies and gentlemen, you're back on the show here with Terry Lynn and Travis Marziani, and today we're going to talk about Google PLAs, uh, how to get them set up, and how Travis has found a way to save a couple thousand a month on his bids and kind of product listing ads. So Travis, what's going on? So the, the big news is I've been spending more time on my PLAs and my AdWords, and I had the realization that about 30% of my traffic comes from AdWords or paid ads in general, and I'm almost spending no time on it. So what happened is this last few weeks, I decided, okay, how can I really improve my paid ads? Because what happened is I set them up probably a year or two ago, and then every so often I'll go in and make some adjustments, add a couple things, but I haven't really done like a full intensive spend a month on it, which is kind of crazy when you think about the 80-20 of my business is definitely paid ads. So I found some cool things I'm going to share here, but negative exact match keywords is going to save me a few thousand dollars, Bing PLAs, and um, some other things, I'll, I'll save it for the episode, but yeah. yeah. So what's Bing PLA? Because I know most people only do Google PLAs, right? So how is theirs different? It's exactly the same thing in almost every way. And the cool thing about it is Bing makes it so if you have Google PLAs, importing it to Bing is ridiculously simple. You use the same feed file, you actually go into the Bing AdWords and say import from Google. And you just need to uh, allow Bing to log into your Google account and it pulls all the data over. Bing knows that nobody wants to use their platform unless they make it simple. So I've just recently started using theirs. I don't have the data yet, but I'm pretty confident it's going to work out decently. And how much cheaper is it? Because I'm sure it's a lot cheaper since no one's on Bing. I know with the regular text ads, it is a little bit cheaper. For the PLAs, I've heard it's cheaper. I've, I've got to assume it's it has to be cheaper since there is less competition. If nothing else, the way I look at it is it's extra traffic. Even if it's the same price, if I can get PLAs working for me I, and I can copy them over and do it exactly the same on Bing, it should work. Yeah, and it kind of shows you how desperate Bing is to get business, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right, so for me, um, so kind of a funny story. Uh, I went on a date three days ago, and uh, this girl actually does really well on Instagram. So we were talking about her business. She sells a replica kind of luxury like Louis Vuitton bags so I guess the way she gets her stuff is they have factories in China where you know extra inventory quote falls off the truck or you know quote leaves the factory by accident and then she sells it on like a third channel on her own Instagram and so you know, she has about like 8,000 followers she gets about like one or two sales a day sometimes two to four so it's around like you know 500 to like two thousand dollars in sales every day and she has about like you know 40 50 percent kind of profit margin and so um, we were talking about how you know you build a following, and one thing she found out was that, um, which I think is kind of common, is like a follow follow strategy. Or so say you know you're selling dance shorts, you would find another dance, you know store, and then you would follow their followers. But one thing she told me that she was doing was that she was setting her account to private, so people have an incentive to actually like follow you to see what uh, products you have. And the idea, I guess, is that you know if they're following a store with similar products like you they kind of be interested to see what your photos are too, but you're holding it behind a request wall. So they kind of have to follow you. Now, I don't know how this is working, but I tried it for like three days and I got about like 20, 25 followers per hour. So I'm at about like a thousand now. And I guess we'll see how this goes in like a month if there's anything that can be done with this. So I think Instagram is like a critical mass at some point where like, we you know, when you post a photo, you get like 200 likes and it kind of organically grows. But I just don't know if that number is at 5,000 followers, 10,000, or you know, how you even get to that. So it's kind of just a small experiment um, kind of for a client site too. Because I want to experiment on one of my accounts before, you know, I do it on their account. Otherwise, they get banned or something like that. Uh, it wouldn't be cool. 
Uh, one experiment I really want you to do, I'd, I'd be very curious, is follow the same amount of people on an open account, see how many followers you get, and also like compare how many clicks on the link you get. Because I understand what you're saying about the setting it to private and people have an incentive to follow you. That's definitely true. I also wonder, though, how often people look at my page, click on my link, without actually following me, but they become familiar with my brand. You know? Yeah, like they're like, oh, I don't want to follow this guy because he's not showing anything, so why bother? Right? There is an argument there, too. Yeah, that would actually be worth testing. You just follow the same people on the two different accounts, and then you kind of see which one gives you the better results, too. Yeah, you could even, I don't know if you can do this on Instagram, but could you follow the people that your other account's following, like, automatically? Or is that too hard to do? Uh, I don't know. You might be able to, like, if this, then that, then, actually. I don't know. Who oh, knows. interesting. That might be interesting. But there's, like, a hard limit where I think you can only follow or unfollow 160 people per hour. So right now I'm I'm around like I'm getting like a one to three ratio. So every three people I follow, like one follows back. So I'm gonna hit the seven thousand limit probably by like by the time this episode goes live, or a day after, which means I'll have to unfollow like seven thousand people, and that that ruin, ruins your kind of time. So I need to spend like five days unfollowing people before I can do it again too. So it's kind of a semi spammy thing, but hey, you know, it's just an experiment, right? So. So uh, we got kind of a lot to talk cover today. So we got about like, you know, eight categories of topics to go through. So bear with us today. And I'm going to go through kind of everything from setting up uh, to kind of segmenting uh, to tips to adjusting your mobile bids, being ads, all this kind of stuff too. So uh, let's get started then. So um, PLAs versus AdWords. We did an episode, a couple of these before back in the day with uh, Rick Bacchus from CPC Strategy. But today we'll get more in depth on to actually on details with your feed and all that stuff too. So Travis, uh, where do we start here? So first, let's start off because a lot of people don't know what PLAs are. Product listing ads or Google Shopping, you hear about it a lot of times. Those are the ads that when you type in an item that you want to purchase, like let's for instance say I wanted to purchase a toaster and I type in toaster to Google and you'll see pictures of a toaster with a price underneath it those are product listing ads. People are paying to have that picture with a price underneath it. There's also the Google images, which are just the pictures, but those are no good. Uh, so the product listing ads are the picture with the price underneath it. And one of the big differences between AdWords and product listing ads is with the product listing ads, you don't get to pick what keywords you advertise for. So let's say I was selling a toaster and I wouldn't be able to say, or let me let me back up with with a regular text ad that most people are familiar with. You can say, "I want to bid a dollar for toaster." Every time someone types in the word toaster, I'll pay a dollar per click. With product listing ads, you tell Google, "Hey, I have this red stainless steel toaster that uh, you know has four pieces of bread. Show it whenever you think's relevant." And the way they determine is based on not only how relevant the search is, but how much you're willing to bid. For instance. If you had a, a stainless steel toaster and you said, oh, I'm willing to pay $100 per click, Google will show it to a lot of people that are probably really irrelevant. It'll probably show it to people that are looking for like stainless steel appliance or any, you know, things that aren't necessarily going to convert on your side. But to Google, they want to make as much money as possible. And if, if you have a lower bid, they're only going to show it to relevant searches because there's a high likelihood that people are going to click on your ad and Google will get paid. So what does that mean? So Google kind of has free reign to be able to do whatever it wants, show its ad wherever it wants, which is really bad. And the way you can combat this is keeping your bids in check for sure, but also having negative keywords. 
And just for people that don't know, there's three types of keywords. There's broad match, exact match, and phrase match. Broad match is, like let's say I had a broad match keyword of toaster. That would mean that if someone searched for toaster, my ad would show. If someone searched for red toaster, my ad would show. If someone searched for anything with the word toaster in it, my ad would show. Now there's phrase match, which I might want to do red toaster. So if someone were to search for just the keyword toaster, my ad would not show because it doesn't have red toaster in it. But if someone searched for red toaster or red toaster with four bread slots or red toaster with whatever, as long as it has the phrase red toaster in it, my ad would show. The last one and one of the really important ones, the way that's going to save me hopefully a few thousand dollars is exact match. Exact match would be if I said I want an exact match keyword of red toaster. My ad would only, only, only show up if someone's searching exactly for red, uh, red toaster. So if someone searched for red toaster with four bread slots, my ad would not show up. Now backing up, the same applies for negative keywords, but it's the opposite. So if, let's say I had a negative keyword of red, just to make things complicated. If someone, if someone's searching for or let's say blue. Let's, that, that makes it a little bit easier. Let's say my negative keyword was blue. So if someone searched for red toaster and my only negative keyword was blue, the ad would still show. show. But if someone searched for blue toaster, it would not show because I'm telling Google, hey, I don't care what the person's so searching for, how relevant you think it is. If it has the word blue in it, do not show my ad. And this also applies with phrase match and exact match. So let's say I had a red toaster with four slots and I wanted to say, okay, that's great. Uh, Google, do your thing. See how relevant it is. But I know sometimes people will search for red toaster with two slots. And I'm like, no, Google, don't show it. If people search for exactly this, uh, this search query term or whatever. So that's kind of how it works. And I'll kind of dig into it deeper later on. But that's uh, one of the big tips I realized. So, yeah. so, so instead of being very explicit with like exact match, you need to be define it through either your bid price or your negative keywords where like don't show this don't show this don't show this but this is how much i want to pay and then find out google you can bounce around between this range of what you think matches these criteria. yeah so but within the negative keywords you can use the the exact match negatives and the, and the broad match negatives so let's say yeah if i had a red toaster i could put every other possible color in there and say any color except for red don't show it but you can't tell Google only show it for red the way you'd have to do it is don't show it for blue purple yellow pink green whatever so that's what makes it a little bit tough and this is why as I'll get into later negative keywords are king for product listing ads but because of that that's how you can save your ad budget essentially by being exactly really but where it gets complicated is sometimes there's certain keywords and I'll, I'll talk about this later that you can't have a broad match search for because it might contain it within uh, within your keywords. So for instance, um, let me think of a good way to explain it. I, I'll use one of my products really quick and then we'll get into the actual show. But one of my products, high waist dance shorts. If someone's searching for high waist dance shorts, I want to show them my ad for sure. But I don't have control. Google has all the control. So what happens if my bid's slightly higher than maybe it should be, Google will show my product to someone searching for just red high waist shorts without the word dance in it. I don't want that. So what I can tell Google is if someone searched for exactly the uh, phrase high waist red shorts, 
do not show them this ad. If, if, and I can go through all the different permutations that are common without the word dance. Um, the, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because high-waist dance shorts are the ones you want, not just shorts. But if you do the broad one, it's going to filter out the one you want too. Yeah, exactly. So I, if I did the broad match, high-waist shorts, then it wouldn't show up for high-waist dance shorts. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not what I, I want. I, I want it to show for the high-waist dance shorts. So that was the big realization I had. Such a very weird way to define your targeting. But I guess it makes sense in some ways. So you're just going, it's like an either or thing, I guess. So either you tell me what you want or you tell me what you don't want and I'll figure out what you want based off your bids and what you don't want. So, all right, so, so let's start from the top. So PLA, we have three big elements. Uh, we have your product feed uh, and then your product page and then uh, I guess your images too. So let's start up with your feed first. So where do we start with this one? Sure. So there's there's two different ways to do it. There's the manual way or the automatic from a shopping cart. I know Shopify and a few others have like an integrated service where you can kind of, I don't know how this works. I guess it just kind of automatically creates the feed file for you. I think Volusion. Essentially, you go to your, your product page, you'll tell it like what category it belongs to in the product listing ads, and then they kind of automatically send it to Google for you. Yeah. And I don't love this. I mean, Anytime you kind of automate something like this, it's not as good as it could be. I'd recommend for anyone to do it manually. And I'll kind of go over the steps here on how to do it manually. Because when you do it manually, there's a lot of benefits. You get to change the, uh, the different, um, all the different fields to whatever you think is the best field for it. All right. So let's jump into it. Uh, the first thing, before you even get started in any of this, you need to have analytics set up. You need to have your e-com tracking set up and webmaster tools set up. And all those should be interconnected. And the reason why, we'll get into later, but you want to be able to get the data of how much you're spending, how, how it's converting, and also from the webmaster tools, what search terms are people finding your ads through. And this is a goldmine. What I've found too is I do product listing ads, and then there's search terms that click and are profitable, people click on and are profitable that I never would have thought of. And then I can take those search terms and do regular text ads as well. And I'm not going to give away any of my secret sauce, but you know, you can come up with whatever your own products are. You do need to set up a Google Merchant Center account where you put this feed file in. And I know all this sounds complicated, but it's, it really isn't. So the Google Merchant Center, you put the feed file in and it generates basically your products for you. And then in the AdWords platform, you can say, all right, product idea ID, pink dance briefs goes for in this campaign, in this ad group, and I'm willing to bid $1.60. All right, so let's jump into setting up the feed file. So you basically, uh, you just need to put in some basic data, basically. <laughs> and the first thing you need to do is come up with an ID. And I'd recommend making the ID of each individual product as descriptive as possible. So I'll share what I do for mine. I do pink dance briefs, pink dash dance dash briefs, blue dash dance dash briefs, whatever. That way when I'm searching for the product IDs later on, it's very obvious what it is. Don't do some random numbers and letters, which is initially what I was going to do because then you got to like constantly decode what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and this is for your product ID essentially. So Yeah. So basically each row in the product feed has a separate ID. And all the rest of the data that we're going to talk about here are separate columns. So then the next thing is the title and description. And the title is really important. This is why it scares me doing, an autom doing it automatically is because since the title is so important, I don't want some computer program doing it without my control. So what I 
recommend doing is having obviously the name of your product, make it keyword rich. So if I'm trying to do a PLA for pink dance briefs, the title will be pink, pink dance briefs dash available in 200 plus colors, period, handmade in the USA. So it's uh, think of it as like a mini advertisement for your product and some and the keywords uh, richness because Google's going to from your title, the description and your product page, it's going to determine where it should show this ad to. So you want to make sure and stuff it with the proper amount of keywords. Same thing with your description. I pretty much, let me see what I did with mine. I, I, I basically take the, took the description for my product page, shortened it, made it sweeter and made sure I included lots of keywords again. The next thing is the price. You need to make sure the price is right on this because otherwise Google will not show your ads. And what I did is I had both um, for each of my different items. So for instance, pink-dance-briefs. I also had pink-dance-briefs kids. And my kids' briefs and my regular briefs are slightly different prices. But on the actual product page, when Google comes to check on it, it's the same price. It's the $15.99. So I had to set them both to be the same price. And that's just because Google automatically checks. Are you lying to us about the price? Because they don't want someone clicking on your ad, going to the, the product page itself and seeing it's a different price. So the, the price is uh, very important. So if you ever update your price on your page, you have to update your feed too. Exactly. If you're I, not doing it automatically. No way of doing it automatically unless you use like the Shopify integration thing. So there's, there's trade-offs obviously there. Um, so yeah, you have to go through an Excel and change in your feed file your CSV all those prices. And so how about uh, image? Yeah, so the image, you can you need to put the, the URL of the image. The way I did it is I put separate images on Amazon S3 because it's better if the images are bigger. I think it's just like with Amazon, you want like a, a thousand pixel minimum width or something like that. And so I hosted mine on Amazon, put the URL in this sheet, really easy to do. If you want to do it in a really ghetto easy way, you can just... Uh, you know, right click and get the URL for the image from your actual website. But I'd recommend hosting a bigger image on like an Amazon S3 or something like that just to get that high quality image. Yeah, I think if you're on like big commerce or Shopify, they have CDNs where they host this and that's probably good enough. But you know, it d yeah. depends on your hosting. Well, see, with Volusion, too. yeah, Volusion, um, you got to pay more like for the bandwidth you use. So I make my images like smaller pixel wise. And I, I put the bigger pixel ones on the Amazon S3. God, that's so weird. Why would they charge you by traffic? You, that, that's so stupid. Like, I don't, what, I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's, the, the two more columns, and these really tripped me up when I was setting it up, uh, are MPN and GTIN. You know what? I really don't know exactly what these are used for. I think there's some kind of like global tracking numbers or something like that. I left GTIN blank, which is fine to do. And the MPN, I just copied over my um, ID. As far as I can tell, these aren't very important. Someone in, it, leave a comment if there's something I'm missing there, but I've had no trouble with that. Brand is another column you need to fill in. I actually recommend putting your URL. So I put bdancer.com for mine. And my thought is people might see one of my product listing ads and see bdancer.com and just automatically type it in. Probably not going to happen a lot, but I, I think that that's, uh, it's worth the risk. At least they're getting familiar with my brand. Uh, two more things left. You got to figure out the category, which is really easy to do. You just need to download um, from Google the product. It, they have like a giant spreadsheet and you just got to basically search through that and figure out what category fits the best. And apparel and a few other brands or a few other 
categories have extra fields. So for instance, if you have apparel, you need to put what size it is, what color, etc. And this might sound like a donning process at first, but all you should do is download like a template file that Google provides and then just change the fields. I mean, on mine, I think it's just color, um, uh, size, age group, gender, a few other simple things. Is so it one thing with PLAs is that if you search like digital cameras and there's like six cameras that come up, so for example, if you do dance shorts too, like how does they determine if you're going to show your competitor next to you or is it going to be all your products? Do you have any insight on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's based on bids. Um, <laughs> I just typed into dance, dance cameras into Google. Okay, that was dumb. <laughs> but uh, it's all based on bids. So for instance, Google wants to make as much money as possible. And this is the most important aspect of understanding AdWords, PLAs, anything like that. So if if I'm willing to bid, this is just a total crazy hypothetical example. If I'm willing to bid $20 a click on all my different dance shorts and it's highly converting as well, Google will show nothing but my, my dance shorts. But if, um, if, if Google makes more money by putting one of my dance shorts and then one of my competitors' dance shorts and whatever, so on and so on, it's going to do that. So it's all based on the likelihood of what Google's going to make the most money for. So would it be right to experiment where like, if you want to show all your bids, you just kind of use one to figure out where the benchmark is and then you raise or lower all of them to that appropriate level? Or Yeah, I mean, you you can do that. I Actually, maybe I should re-understand your question. Are you saying like within the same product or? Yeah, I guess like how do you show up for a keyword for all six photos without your competitors showing up in one of them? Like I guess you could change your bids where they're kind of like higher than normal. So you dominate that whole space, right? Yeah, I mean, that might not necessarily be the goal. I, I, I'd recommend not even caring about that, just paying attention to how much money you're making off of it and, uh, you know, bid accordingly. All right, so the, the next part is, now that we got the product feed set up, is setting it up in AdWords. And this is a, a pretty simple process to do, but there's a couple tips that I recommend. I actually called into Google and they gave me some really bad advice. So I'm going to steer you guys away from that. What I recommend doing is make sure you have as many campaigns as reasonably, be, as reasonably possible. And the reason for this is it makes it easier to do bid adjustments. So the way I have mine set up is I'm bidding on different colors. So let's say dance briefs. I might have 13 different colors within the dance briefs. So my campaign would be dance briefs. And then within that campaign, I'd have 13 ad groups. Each one of the ad groups would be a different color. And the reason I do this is I can look at, is dance briefs in general, the product, the idea of dance briefs, is that making me money or losing me money? And then I can do a deeper dive and say, wait a minute, I'm losing a ton of money on blue dance briefs, but pink dance briefs are going gangbusters. So I'll make adjustments accordingly. But sometimes you just want to really quickly look at a product as a whole. And that's where kind of doing the campaigns is very helpful. And also, actually, a, a quick note, within the ad groups themselves, I recommend doing a separate ad group for every individual ID that you have. Every pro, like, uh, yeah, every ID you have, that way uh, it makes it very simple to do bid adjustments. Yeah, because otherwise you'd have to turn off an entire product category on its own, and that would be a pain in the ass. Yeah, and I, I, I try to do stuff like that, and... Google kind of recommends like, oh yeah, just do one campaign and within that one campaign, a bunch of ad groups. And I'm like, no, that makes it a pain in the ass. The, the other thing is if you actually click within Google Analytics on your bid adjustments, it shows it based on campaigns automatically. 
So that's why it's beneficial to have as many campaigns as reasonably makes sense. So I'll tell you guys, uh, for me, I have around probably 30, 40 different campaigns. And then each campaign has, you know, 13 ad groups or so in it. Yeah, I, the Google guy sounds like he just wants you to get on board as soon as possible and turn on that credit card so he can start charging you. Yeah, yeah. I, I always take uh, Google helps advice with a grain of salt. And another thing, um, so I, I guess let's get into some of the big tips. And we talked about this earlier. There's no keywords, and this is huge. So I recommend even starting out with as many negative keywords as possible. And the way to do this, there's there's two big ways I recommend. A keyword tool and a website called Ubersuggest. I think it's ubersuggest.org. And what ubersuggest.org does is it looks at, if I were to type in dance, dance shorts, it finds the autocompletes for the next... Um, searches. So if you type into Google, for instance, dance shorts, space, the letter A, it starts to autocomplete, right? It'll say dance shorts, space, A, Acrombie and Finch or whatever, and like go down all the different things. So Uber suggests scrapes all that data. And what I recommend doing is I think you can export that and get rid of everything except for dance shorts. So it's just those extra keywords and say, this isn't relevant. This isn't relevant. This isn't relevant. And also the keyword tool, you can do similar things. I'm not going to go into great detail about that. But also just use your imagination and figure out what are people searching for that Google might show my ad for that I don't want them to. Uh, one example that I found is mixing two different colors together. So let's say I was selling a blue dance briefs and someone was searching for blue and green dance briefs. Well, I don't sell blue and green dance briefs. I and when I think of that, I think of them combined like within the same brief. I sell blue dance briefs or green dance briefs. So if someone types in the word green and blue, don't show them my ad. So just kind of use your, your uh, mind and figure out what are some negative keywords that you should not show your ads for. So it's like a lot of work pre-ads, like pre right? Like you do a lot of like grunt work before you can even start bidding. So that, so that you can get the clean bids and like appropriate targeting too. Yeah, and I, I recommend, and I was telling people um, that are in the mastermind, actually, here's a, a shameless plug for the mastermind group because a lot of the people in the, the current mastermind group are doing PLAs. I'm like, hey, if you have any trouble, let me look at it first. I want to make sure you have a ton of negative keywords. And I'll tell you guys, I have probably about 4,000 negative keywords, another 1,000 or 2,000 negative exact match keywords. And just a, a crazy um, amount. So actually... So you have like 6,000 total? Yeah, and I, I do separate for the exact match negative keywords. Since my keyword, my negative keyword list is starting to get pretty long, I separate it out based on campaign. And actually, this is... I'll, I'll, there's actually two points I'll talk about. So for instance, um, I guess, yeah, we'll start with the, with, the, with the negative keywords and the exact match negative keywords. There's a tool called... I believe it's keywordmixer.com or just type keyword mixer into Google. And what it allows you to do is combine keywords. So let's say using this tool, it has three columns. And let's say the far left column, I put, you know, 13 different colors, all the colors I can think of. And then in the middle column, I put dance shorts, dance pants, dance briefs. What it'll do is it'll combine all 13 colors uh, with the word dance pants. So you'll get green dance pants, blue dance pants, you know, yellow dance pants, whatever. And then do the same for dance shorts and go down the list. And what this is really helpful for is if you know of some negative keywords or some negative exact match keywords that you want to do, but you don't want to type all of them out by hand, 
and it's basically just different permutations of the same thing over and over again, you can use this keyword mixer. And it, it saved me like tens of hours at least. So it's like a negative keyword remix generator where if you know these 10 words you don't want, you just throw it in there and it'll give you every variation. that So you know you're not bidding on this for sure essentially. Yeah. So like an example for the exact match negative keywords, going back to my, my dance shorts example, I might, I, I might in this keyword mixer put all the colors on the left-hand column and then in the middle column put um, shorts, jeans, or let's say sh shorts, uh, what else would I put? Shorts, pants, you know, anything that I don't want to show it for and just it'll combine all those and I'll just plug that in. And I know this is a lot and hopefully uh, people are getting some use out of this, but there's another tool I just recently found out about which are the negative keyword lists. And I believe if you go into your AdWords account, go under, I think it's shared resources, and it'll say keyword list or negative keyword list. And what you can do is you can set up this negative keyword list. And what makes it really beneficial is I could create this list, this one centralized list, and say, all right, apply this to all campaigns that are related to pants. And then as I update it, it automatically updates all the pants-related campaigns as opposed to the traditional way of doing it is you have to go in campaign by campaign and paste in the new negative keywords. Yeah, like, like if there's like a like if there's like a thousand ways to say I want this, you're telling them 999 ways you don't want it and then they'll figure out what that one way is. And yeah, the more and you I can mean, say no, the more they'll get that part correct. Yeah, and I mean keep in mind I don't need to put a negative keyword of elephant because Google's probably not going to show my product to someone searching for anything elephant related or it's so rare that it's not even worth me thinking about you know maybe in time I find that a lot of people are searching for elephant dance pants and I'm like no don't show it to them because we don't have elephants on our on our items but you you want to just think of the most common things that you think Google being as dumb as it can be at times might show your products to that you're like no that's not actually relevant to my product yeah like you're trying to be 80 20 about it as much as possible without giving it like 10,000 negative keywords just for one product where it wouldn't make sense from like a time perspective to figure all those keywords too. Yeah, that being said too, there is no harm in putting extra negative keywords. If it's not extremely time consuming, there's no downside to putting more negative keywords um, because it's just making your you know thing more specific. But I don't, you don't need to start off with you know ten thousand negative keywords. I I do recommend putting in a decent amount though from the beginning. Yeah, so I get the process is that first decide what keywords you definitely don't want, throw those in the remixer to have the kind of a base list, and then you kind of kind of go through and think about what you actually on a phrase level what you don't want either, and then you manually enter those in. And then kind of that's like a good base, right? The, the more I'm thinking about it, for PLAs, the keyword mixer probably only is useful for the exact match. Um, because with the broad match, you don't need to mix them together. It doesn't matter. If you say, don't show it to anyone that types in the word elephant, you don't need to say, also don't show it to anyone that, does, that types in the negative word elephant dance pants because it just doesn't, you know, it sees the word elephant, yeah. Uh, but let's let's jump into adjusting it because this is the next big thing that I think a lot of people forget about or they just they ignore. So there's there's two things as far as adjusting it. So you initially set it up. Let's say you got all this perfect, which you never. Well, actually, you'll never get it perfect. So that's why this part is really interesting. And there's two adjustments you should make: your bid adjustment, adjusting the price you're willing to pay per click, and the second one is adding more negative keywords. So let's start with bidding. Uh, adjusting the bid price. 
There's two ways to do this. You can go into your Google Analytics and go through that and you can basically export it as a CSV. And one of the things I do is I look at, I give my page pages per session a value and let's say each page view I say is worth a quarter. And I, I've talked about that in previous episodes on how you can kind of figure that out. So if every page view is worth a quarter, then, and I have four page views average per PLA, I know that um, that is worth about a dollar. So my bid should be about a dollar. And this, is, this isn't a science. This is like kind of a, a little bit of an art to it. There's also, you can track how much revenue you make. The, the bad part about how much revenue you make is it ignores the fact that for us, sometimes we get phone orders. Sometimes we, um, sometimes people look and find us from one computer and they buy from a different computer. And that's why page views are really interesting to me because it shows how engaged they are based on that search. So that's one of the things I do is I kind of look at that and I say, all right, is this getting enough pages uh, per session? Should I raise it? Should I lower it? And I also look at the revenue. So if, if, if either one of those are really high, I might raise my bid. Um, a third thing to look at is within AdWords itself, there's a data column called search lost. I, I believe it's search lost is or something of that nature. You can find it. And it tells you the percentage of searches that you didn't show up for because your bid was too low that you could have. So what? Why uh, this? So if you know, so if yeah. you know the revenue is there, but you're bidding too low, you can just up that until there's like an equalization point that's profitable too. On on the flip side, though, let's say you have a um, a certain product, a PLA that's doing really well, but the search lost is is like one percent. There's no reason to up your bid because you're not going to make that much more money off of it because you're just going to be paying more and you're going to get the same amount of search traffic. Yeah. So you would actually reduce it until that number drops or the number increases where you're losing searches, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't lose too much, but if I, all these numbers, there's not really a scientific way for sure to do it. It depends on what your margins are and all these kind of different things. But the more data you can have, the smarter decisions you can make. And another tip, actually, I didn't talk about, Get your Google Analytics and your AdWords connected because then you can see within the AdWords platform all kinds of really good data such as the pages per session, um, the, uh, the e-commerce tracking type stuff, the revenue, all, all of that. And I always export it as a CSV. And when I export it, I actually write little Excel, um, I don't know, if they're not, they're not, it's not a program, but like little Excel formulas that say, is my pages per session above or below this number relative to what I'm bidding. And it sounds really science-y, but hopefully some people out there are understanding what I'm saying. Yeah, you're trying to see of all these different things, is it passing my filter metric of what my usual sale amount of page views is, whether it's like four or five, six, whatever. Yeah, and I also set up, like for instance, I'll set up one formula that says, all right, my, my ad cost me over the last month $173.00. Was my revenue above or below that? Or you know, maybe you could do is my revenue 2x that? And if it's not, adjust accordingly. So you got to put those numbers, whatever makes sense for you. But Excel has been super helpful for me on this. It allows me to see what ads are performing extremely well and which ones are performing extremely poorly. So let me recap this just to make sure I'm understanding. So you're tying your AdWords with analytics so you can see A, off each campaign that you're paying bids on, how many page views are they getting? How many bounces are they getting? You know, what are the kind of usual analytics stuff? And down to like the e-commerce tracking, where, uh, what, what kind of each campaign is generating for you, if it's even worth it on a cost per 
revenue basis, essentially. Yeah, because there is a chance that you know one of your campaigns are getting crazy amount of page views, but you're getting no revenue, or vice versa. I've had campaigns that, on average, get two page views, but for whatever reason, the revenue is like 10x what I'm spending on it, and I don't I don't care how many. So that's why none of these none of this data is necessarily the only thing to look at. It's just kind of getting all of that together. Yeah, you just want to make sure that the stuff you're bidding on is making sales, and the stuff that looks like it's making traction, you're not deceiving yourself and throwing more money at it, essentially. Exactly. So the next thing in adjusting it is in Google Analytics, if you go to the acquisition and then AdWords, there's actually a, a space where you can see uh, search queries. And this will tell you all the different search queries that your ad gets shown through. What I recommend doing is exporting this list as a CSV, going through it, and starting with the ones that are the lowest pages per session. And so that should be zero or one. And looking at those very closely and say, hmm, when people search for this, they tend not to like what they, they, they get to my product page and they're, they're bouncing or they're not staying for very long. And look for those for hints, at negative keywords or negative exact match keywords that you can add to your campaign. And that's a really simple thing to do. And on the flip side, you can export this um, search queries list and look for things that are performing really well and turn them into text campaigns. So for instance, I might have a green leotard. I didn't ever think about making a leotard text ad, but now I should do one based around green leotard or whatever kind of example. And these search queries also include your AdWords search or is it just strictly PLA? Just AdWords. These ones specifically, gotcha, gotcha. if you go to acquisition and then AdWords search queries, it's just for AdWords. Gotcha. So you can use your AdWords budget to kind of tweak your PLA bits and vice versa, essentially. On top of that, you can find really good quality um, things to target through SEO. Like I found a, a couple things that I didn't think these search terms were that profitable, but then I realized, oh, wow, this is actually uh, really profitable and you know, I should adjust my SEO strategy. Alrighty, so I guess uh, let's move on to mobile bids a little bit too. So you had a little segment here, which I don't really know much about. So where do we start with mm -hmm. this? Yes, and this is another one of those things where me and the Google help specialist strongly disagree. And I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that they're doing it just to make more money. So one of the things you can do is you can set your mobile bid and you set it as a percentage. So you can set it to minimum or the lowest you can set it is negative 100%, meaning absolutely do not show my whether it's text ad or PLA, to mobile users, or you can set it as high as plus 300%, which means if you're bidding a dollar, you're saying, I'm willing to spend $4 for mobile bids. And what I recommend doing is having two separate campaigns, or basically copying all your campaigns and have two, having two separate versions for all of them. One that would be negative 100% mobile bids, so purely desktop and um, tablet. And then the other ones reduce your bids. So let's say I was willing to bid a dollar per click for desktop and tablet. On the other campaign, reduce your bid highly. So let's say it was, for. I'll tell you what I do personally. I might reduce my bid as far down as 10 cents on the mobile campaigns, but then do the bid adjustment to plus 300%, which means that I'm paying 40 cents a click for these mobile campaigns. And the reason I highly recommend doing this is mobile traffic and desktop traffic is very different. First off, Mobile traffic does not convert as well. I, I don't care. I, I haven't heard from anyone that it, it converts as well. And they're probably less like, yeah. Well, at least at, at least at this point in time in history, in 2015, yeah, yeah. right? 
and at least and for sure with my um my demographic and i tend to get bigger orders on computers i tend to get no one's going to buy very few people are going to buy a thousand dollars worth of stuff on their mobile phone it's just it's too too much work and whatever and the reason this is really important is if you combine the two which i don't recommend doing it's hard to be able to determine if you should change your mobile bid or if you should change both bids together or you know it's cluttering the data so by separating it, it's very easy to say hey i actually need to increase my desktop bid but i need to lower my mobile bid where if you had those combined you would just say nope i should leave my bid the same right so, so, that's, so let me yeah. make sure i understand so if i'm saying i'm willing to pay one dollar per click on desktop the way you can do it is either say mobile as a as a percentage of that one dollar bid or I create my own mobile bid of like 10 cents and set that as like three times of that. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think basically you have it. So the way I'm saying is having two separate campaigns and one, yeah. And cause the thing too is in this, the mobile campaign, if your bid's 10 cents, but your mobile bid adjustments plus 300%, chances are it's never going to show to desktops cause you're bidding so low. You're bidding only 10 cents where your other, your real uh, desktop campaigns a dollar. But it will show to the mobile bids because you're saying, I'm willing to bid 40 cents per bid or whatever number you come up with. Yeah, but the trick is like when you want to change the bids, if they were linked together, it would be a multiple of the desktop, which may or may not be what you always want to. Essentially. Yeah, exactly. So it's just there's ways to do it. And I'm sure there's people out there that are doing it that way. I, for me personally, find it much easier to have separate campaigns because to me, they're different animals. Someone might be really... Uh, or on, on average, people might love to buy dance shorts on a computer and hate to buy them on their mobile phone. They might love to buy dance capris on their mobile phone but hate to buy them on their desktop. I don't know yet, and I want to keep those as separate as possible. Yeah, but it keeps your data cleaner too because like if you change your desktop bid, you always have to change your mobile bid if you want to keep it the same. Like if you want to raise your desktop bid to two, you got to reduce your mobile bid by like half so it stays the same and then it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right, cool. So let's move on to Bing ads a little bit. So this is kind of a new beast too. What's the deal with this one? Yeah, and this is where I'm really excited too because this is another one of those things that I realized that Bing has their own product listing ads. And it's exactly the same as everything we just talked about. And basically what I recommend for doing this is copying over all your Google stuff to your Bing. And Bing makes that very easy for you to do that. They, It's the same product feed file. You can actually go log into Bing ads and um, just click on the little import from Google Ads and it'll import all your categories, all your campaigns, all your ad groups, everything over there. And then on top of that, I recommend importing all your negative keywords. And for instance, for me, if you end up using the negative keyword list like I recommend, you do have to recreate those manually in Bing Ads as far as I can tell. Maybe someone out there knows of a way to do this automatically. But um, once you set those up, it's, it's pretty pretty friendly and easy to do. I don't have a lot of data on how those work. One of the problems is it takes forever to get approved. And if you make a change, it takes like a few days for it to take effect. So I just set mine up and it should be approved pretty soon. So I'll, I'll in the next episode, I'll tell you guys how it's doing, but I assume it's gonna do pretty well. Yeah, and, ha and have you seen the back end? Is it similar to like the PLA ones or? Very similar. I mean, it's almost exactly the same thing. They Bing makes it, I mean, Bing knows that no one wants to use their ad platform. and what. The problem with Bing is you're not going to get as much data as you are with Google. But basically, if you find a negative keyword in Google, it's also going to be a negative keyword in Bing. If you find that a certain ad's working, you can pretty much guess that it's going to also work in Bing. 
I, I do recommend um, adjusting your bids using analytics separately. Oh, and that's actually another thing I should, I should talk about is when you set up your feed, one of the problems is you can, with regular text Bing ads, it'll tag the, the links for you. Uh, you can set that up. It's not super hard to do, but they don't have it set up properly with the Google product listing. So the one change I'd make in your product feed file when importing it into Bing is tagging all your links all your uh, yeah, all your pro- the product page links with the UTM Google tag, or you can type into Google. I think it's like Google tag links into Google, and it'll show you what to do. You just got to specify the campaign, and you got to specify the ad group and a couple other things. What I did for mine is I set up some pr- pretty simple Excel formulas to just say, all right, uh, for instance, pink dance briefs. The campaign will be dance briefs. The ad group will be pink dance briefs. That way, when I go into my Google Analytics, I can separate it and say, all right, um, the Bing ads PLA campaign dance briefs doing pretty good. I should raise the bid or it's doing pretty poorly. I should lower the bid. And I can even dive in deeper by saying, what about this specific pink dance briefs ad group within it? How is that doing? Yeah, because you're tagging the links, you can see what happens off each click or a bunch of group of clicks once you have the data too. Yeah, and just tag it in your feed file itself. It just makes things... I, I That might be the only way right now to do it. I mean, I, I talked to someone at Bing and they seemed confused by the question. So Too advanced for them. Sure, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure this is a workaround now. Yeah, and it's just, this is just like the and equals, like if you look at the URL builder in Google and like you type random stuff in, you'll see the ge- URL they generate has like an and. It has a bunch of squiggly stuff that kind of... Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not too hard. I promise. Or or you can do it manually, but I don't recommend doing that if you have a lot of products like I do. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the things is a little bit tricky, kind of doing all this stuff. So we'll probably include a checklist uh, in the free marketing toolkit section of the website. So you can just go download this there. And I th- I think I'll go over all this again and make a checklist too, because I think all the stuff of the PLA is a little technical, especially how like negative keywords work. I'll probably include a couple samples and like a PDF file that everyone can get. And uh, you can just go to buildmyelmentor.com and uh, click on the free marketing toolkit, I'll put that in there too. And there's probably like, you know, 10 or 15 templates that are helpful in there too that you'll find. And uh, all right guys, thanks again for joining us and we'll catch you guys next week.